Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, so today we're just going to get straight into it. I am basically doing on Kiran what she did to me in the last episode, which is just asking her loads of questions about herself so you guys can get to know her a bit better. Yeah, that's what she wanted to do. So I think without further ado, we should just get straight yeah, into it. Yeah, let's get straight into it. Go on. <laughs> We've got some juicy questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the first one is a pretty simple one. Yeah. Where were you born? Um, where were you raised? Do you have any siblings? Like, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What was your yeah. home set up like? Sure. So um, I was born in Barking Hospital. <laughs> um, so from um, East London. Um, yeah. Well, postcode is basically like between East London and Essex. Um, So a lot of my like high school and um, like teenage years were spent like out raving in like Essex area. Love that. And then um, the rest of it was like East London. I think once like my dad owned a shop on um romford road and that was like e that was like e area e postcode Mm. so that's like basic i was like half and half i was always between east london and like essex basically um yeah best of both worlds there you go um so yeah i was raised in um ilford essex um i do have a younger sister although i would probably class her as like mentally a lot older than me she's so much more sweet than I've ever been and a lot more responsible and wiser than me um and then um my home's up um so up until eight years ago it was literally just me my my mom my dad and my sister um and then eight years ago my dad passed away and so now it's obviously just um me my mom and my sister but now yeah. she's moved out yeah. yeah so it's all got very grown up and adult life now You've so moved out. yeah i moved out moved to to across the pond yeah. and my sister literally moved further into essex mm-hmm. and then yeah that was it like that was that it's just us three now yeah yeah cool okay so going a little bit more into your childhood what mm-hmm. is your fondest childhood memory um or just talk to us a little bit about your hobbies or interests as a child um and just things that you were really into Hmm. as a child so I remember as a child actually like really being into um I, I knew I was always quite creative like I used to love coming home I remember like one of my first ever projects being um when the millennium dome opened and oh, we yeah. had to yeah we so one of the first ever projects that we had about the millennium dome was to go back into school after our day like day trip to the millennium dome yeah. and then recreate like a scene from that day and I don't know what I thought I was but I literally went back that like within a week with my project it it wasn't like quite show and tell but we had to go in with something Mm -hmm. and I genuinely I went home and I used my mum's like um what was it like mixing bowl Mm -hmm. and I used paper mache and like created like the dome and all the spokes out of like straws did you do it with a balloon no, I did. Oh, so I turned my mum's like. On his oh, did you? Yeah, I did it with a balloon. Oh yeah, that's a good idea though. Yeah, that's yeah. very advanced for young actually. <laughs> like I just used my mum's mixing bowl and just oh, like used so like cool. paper mache, and I remember just getting really into it. Yeah. And like just getting stuck in. Yeah. Um. So I knew I was always quite creative. Um. I also there was another part of me that was quite like performance based. Like I did go to like dance classes, and I do remember like being in. Um, talent shows for dance and stuff like that but it I don't think it ever got any further than that because I think I was so involved with like creative arts and stuff but I do massively remember like being part of like dance crews and wanting to dance all the time and like performances and I remember trying to copy at a young age, Britney Spears, Slave for You. Yeah. And not realising how, like, oh, raunchy and sexual it was. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I don't know who I think I am, oh, like, dancing gosh. to this song at such a young age. So there was that, too. Um, but I definitely was very involved in being creative. And yeah. I suppose with family, with in terms of, like, memories with my family, I, I guess that would definitely be traveling my mum and dad were so big on getting us out and about all the time that we needed to travel every summer we'd have like lovely amazing trips to like parts of europe we'd go to america um 
and I remember even like my dad pushing us like I, I don't ever remember even having any like desire to ski but the first year in in high school my dad was like you're going I don't care like basically so you're good. going and almost to some point like forced us to go even though I wasn't really keen on going yeah and then afterwards I loved it and then I literally went every year yeah. after that with my high school um so for like a good few years like, I was skiing but like I remember traveling just being like a really great part of like my family memories that we travel a lot together and I think that really like shaped my childhood and my teenage years actually quite a lot and what about high school? What was your high school experience like? Um, high school, um, it's a weird one. Like high school for me, like looking back in hindsight, I I feel like I never really fitted in. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I don't feel like I was like a standout pupil in the sense that like I was, I knew that I was smart, but I didn't know that, I didn't feel like what I was getting from school was um or high school even was it, it just felt a little bit limited limited right. and mm-hmm. not that they weren't doing enough but more that I wasn't I wasn't able I didn't have an outlet to do the things that I wanted to do I felt like sometimes my ideas for like what I wanted to achieve were out of the realm of what I could do at school if that makes sense yeah very limiting but at the same time I did I think the first year because so I the feeder school to um, my high school was this um, school that I ended up moving very close to. Um, but my this, my primary school wasn't a feeder school to my high school. So I ended up going to high school not knowing anybody. I literally oh. knew everybody. And everybody else that was in high school had friends from their primary school. I so I felt really quite alone in the first year. And I remember, specifically remember being in year seven and having to stand at one of the, they had like, they had the sit down tables, but they also had like a set of tables that were like a lot higher. Basically, if you wanted to basically eat your food and dip, Mm. then you could. Yeah. And then I basically was always sitting at that, standing at that table because I didn't have any friends to eat with. I would have sat with you. Aw, thanks sweetheart. Yeah, and I I just always remember being that person, um, yeah. like just sitting on my own in the first year. And then I think when I got into like year eight, nine, um, a group of these really super, who I deemed as the cool girls, basically really liked me and like kind of took me under their wing. Mm. But I do remember also having, being the person that kind of floated between all the different friends groups that were in school. And I kind of liked that because it allowed me to be part of different different groups groups and just seeing what everybody, what ticked for everybody, even though that they were in different groups. And I kind of liked that about my high school experience. You're kind you know, of like just, an outsider, but still, like, everyone liked you. Yeah, cool with yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I didn't... It's a nice place to be. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool place to be because yeah. then it meant that you didn't... You wrote, you kind of stayed in your own lane and you didn't really have any... Um, what's the word? Like, you didn't really have any sort of loyalties to any group. Yeah, you were kind it can of... get a bit clicky, can't Yeah, it? it can be. So I felt like that was... I think that bit was quite cool. Um, but I, I enjoyed... High, high school it. but I didn't I didn't feel like it wasn't I didn't feel like part of it like yeah. I didn't feel like I fitted in but it it, it was it was fine yeah. I would say yeah I get you and what about modeling when did that come into it and like specifically if you can talk to us about mm-hmm. what it is um about like being a dark-skinned model in the yeah. industry if you can talk a bit about that I mean I could literally talk for days about that one subject but I'll save you guys because mm-hmm. I, I mean as in the subject of being dark-skinned and what it's meant for the industry but I mean I guess in a nutshell modeling actually started when for me so one of my friends she turned 18 and her dad had treated her and a couple of her friends to a table um at this quite at the time quite a prestigious nightclub called Cafe de Paris (laughs) and we sat on this table and we just thought we were absolute kings and queens (laughs) like on this table 18 years old like I don't know how how we just loved that whole evening and basically I was up on this like balcony 
And I saw these two women on the main dance floor. Yeah. And they kept looking up at me and they kept looking up at me and then they pointed and they basically said, can you come down and meet us? Can you come down and meet us? And I was always quite like one of those um, curiosity, kill the cat kind of, I've always curious. So I would never have not gone down. Yeah, of course. So I went down and... They were just like, oh, we think you're so beautiful. Could we use you? Like, we've got a, um, we're, we're a team. Their names are Mel and Simone. Mm. Like, I wonder if they're listening. And if they are, like, I literally love you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I literally, like, thank you so much because I owe you a lot. But the, um, they basically started what would now have been like a partnership for um, creatives. Okay. So they were both makeup and creative mad and. Now, obviously, with how social media and everything has gone, I could see exactly what they were trying to achieve. And this was basically, what, almost 12, 13 years ago, they were starting all of this. So they already had this vision of where they wanted to go. And they they kept saying to me, oh, you should definitely model... Um, we'll, we, we're actually setting up a shoot. Would you want to come? Like, would you want to do it kind of thing? And I thought, I've never in my life had any interest in anything like that. You know, I'll, I'll give it a go kind of thing. Um, see what comes of it. And I didn't think anything would actually come of it because I thought, oh, we're in a nightclub. Like, well, what's going to happen? Yeah. Like, you know, we're in a nightclub. <laughs> At that point, like, being in contact via mobile phones were like a little bit like odd it yeah, felt a yeah, bit yeah. impersonal at that point mm. so I just thought I, I doubt they're ever going to get in touch or that anything will come of it and then I remember like a couple I can't remember the time between seeing them at the club to when we actually had the shoot um but we had a shoot and then they kept on being quite a few shoots with them and it just went really well like it went well I probably did about three four shoots with them and they used sleek makeup on the first shoot oh I did gosh. with them. Yeah, Shout I remember that sleek. sleek. My mum still buys me that every year for oh, Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was like one of the first ever models that they used for sleek. Wow, With amazing. sleek makeup. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, this is so cool. Because at that point, being even connected or knowing someone that created makeup just felt like so far beyond what I could ever have access to. Yeah. So we did a shoot and at that point, point um that shoot was for a wedding designer um wedding dress designer basically and he um was from nigeria and his dresses basically he worked between nigeria and london Mm -hmm. and his dresses were beautiful absolutely beautiful he actually did a really famous person's wedding dress i can't remember who it is off the top of my head um and that was the first ever shoot that I had done. And I remember I've still got the pictures from that shoot. And I remember thinking, whoa, like this was like 13, 14 years ago. My first yeah. ever experience modeling. Yeah. Um, and it, now looking back on it and seeing how hard I've struggled, even with the idea of having dark skin, I was so grateful to Mel and Simone for seeing that part of me that now or had been quite difficult for other people to see. Um, so I remember n- now looking back on it, I just think, oh, God, wow. Like, it felt like I was almost unstoppable then because they could see they could see more to what my life was going to be than I almost could mm. because they could see the potential that I couldn't see yeah. in myself, you know? Um, yeah, I guess it was just an interesting take. And then obviously from there, my dad had entered me into a modelling competition, which was with Next Clothing Brand. Yeah. Um, and that was that was probably about three years after I got scouted. I didn't realize your dad entered you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad had entered me, and he was just like, "Kevin, like he Do used it. to shop at Next all the time. Mm. Like, which Indian person doesn't shop yeah. at Next, right?" <laughs> um, and he had a personal connection with Next because he was raised um, like he spent a lot of time in Leicester. Yeah. So he actually knew a lot of Indian people, like his family, that worked for yeah, next yeah so there was like a personal connection and he loved working he loved uh, shopping with next so when the advert had come up or the, this competition had come up on the website he was just like, i'm entering you like you should do it you should do it kind That's of thing so good and at the time i just didn't think anything would come of it again because i was a nobody and i already knew that modeling in that at that point it was all about supermodels there yeah. was no instagram there no. was no twitter it was all about the supermodels and i thought 
who am I to think that I could even be at that point or at that point of a career where I'm an actual model, you know? So I'd entered and there was about, I just, I think over 4,000 people entered and I ended up winning that whole competition. And I remember just thinking, oh, okay, maybe this is, that's when I think I thought that it could actually be a career. And at that point, I think I'd just turned 20 or 20, yeah, around 20, 21. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from that point onwards, it kind of just like snowballed like into, you know, like a full on career. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean... It's it snowballed into a full on career, but I think also my issue was that I didn't. Even though Nex had given me a really great pl- platform, and they were known, I think at well at the time, mm-hmm. um, there was a model called Emmanuel de, Emanuela de Paula. Mm-hmm. I think I pronounced that correct. She's a Brazilian model. She was like the face of Next, and yeah, she was I think beautiful. I remember her. Yeah, she, she was, was a really beautiful, dark skin, beautiful. That she almost. I think people actually sometimes thought that she was Indian. So funny. This is just like a little yeah. side story. Yeah. I, I don't know who I was kidding myself. I yeah. used to try every summer to tan so I could try and get as dark as her. Oh, no way. Yeah, every summer I used I to try and get as dark as her. I honestly loved her. I used to like idolise her. I was like, I want to be as dark as the next model. Yeah. That was like my goal oh, for like wow. three summers in a That's... row. And isn't it and wild? And I used to peel like no man's yeah. business. I can't do this. Just accept it now. Yeah, so she was on the panel that decided who won wow. the competition. And I remember at the time, I kind of, during the competition, felt like I might have won it because throughout the day... Um, they kept on doing things like little moments where they would like get me to meet Emanuela de Paula, but no one else at the, on that day had met her. Oh, like, you know, like had like wow. a private meeting yeah. with her. And I remember going into the room so nervous and then oh. I couldn't even, I, I felt like I couldn't even speak to her because mm. I'd idolized her for so long, oh. you know, like just, the, well, I suppose idolize is a strong word, but I, I, in a way I thought she's a dark skin model I can relate. Yeah. You know, like there's a, there's a, there was some sort of, like, re- I could relate to the fact that she was dark-skinned, basically. And even though she wasn't the same background or Indian or, you know, same culture as me, I felt like her struggle would have been the same in the sense that Brazilians are renowned for being beautiful. That's a given, right? That, that That's mm. like a, a positive stereotype mm. that a lot of Brazilian girls have had throughout the in- modelling industry. Um, but I remember just thinking she's done it and she's dark skin and she must feel so proud of herself, you know, for really doing so well um, in the industry. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, that's really cool. Um, And then I met her like on the day of the competition. And then after that, I think I saw, I worked with her on a shoot with her twice after that. Um, And that was in, they sent me to New York. And I remember just thinking, wow, she's so lovely. And she was so grounded and down to earth i love that um she what she even now i don't feel like she's the kind of person that wants to be in the limelight she mm. just wants to do her job and get out you yeah know? um but yeah i remember just thinking wow she's cool man and then after that i was with select for um a just just over a year and so I was basically doing a lot of like the directories they'd flown me to New York and we'd done a couple of shoots that's when I'd shot with Emanuela de Paula Mm. and I remember just thinking at the time wow this is so cool but I felt like I didn't actually have anybody to look up to when it came to having a mentor or somebody there you know Mm -hmm. like physically there to guide me through I'm not saying that I wanted to be spoon-fed I just wanted to see that it was a possibility because mm-hmm. I think then what happened is that I was constantly trying to become the person that I wanted to look up to mm-hmm. in a weird way because I didn't have anybody. And that yeah. was the time when there was no Instagram. So there was, I couldn't just go onto my phone and find someone that was kind of like me to be like, oh, okay, this is what I need to do or yeah. this is how I need to do my job. or You're just making it up as you go yeah, along. Yeah, and I think I found it even more difficult because I remember at the time being on the select board and realizing that I was the only dark skin model on there. That's including the black girls that were on there. Yeah. The, they'd obviously gone out of their way to pick light skinned black girls mm-hmm. that looked more ambiguous. And I know that that was what the requirements were, were at the time because 
I think that that was, you know, the stereotype of like what they thought was beauty was the fairer you were, the more beautiful you were. And yeah. therefore they only wanted a certain caliber of black girl and they only wanted a certain caliber. Um, to be honest, even at the time, there was no Indian girls on there. Mm. I was the only Indian dark skinned girl. So again, I felt very sort of outside of the yeah. the loop, mm. you know, Um and this was just specifically for select like modeling board. But I remember just thinking, who do I look up to? And throughout like throughout it, I didn't feel like I had anybody. And I realized that I'd have to, I'm either gonna sink or I'm gonna have to swim. And I think eventually I had to just try and pave my own way, way basically, um, being a dark skin model. And even now when I think about it, there's still so many difficulties that I go through being a dark-skinned Indian person, mm-hmm. which I don't. I wouldn't even classify myself as like massively dark-skinned, but I know that in the realm of fashion industry and models, I am considered dark-skinned for an Indian yeah, girl. You know, um, it's been difficult. Uh, yeah. It's not been easy, but I definitely like the challenge of it all and being able to show look eventually I got there it might have taken yeah. me a lot more and made it it might have been a lot more harder for me but I know that then whatever I came whatever came out of it would be so much more rewarding, rewarding yeah amazing I feel like we could do a whole podcast yeah about, I'm about that Maybe right yeah will. yeah I think we should yeah, yeah I think it's definitely yeah a lot to talk about um okay so the next question is and this is something we definitely touched on last time for yeah. mine um Tell us a little bit about your self-care practices, if you have any like specific morning routines, any spiritual practices, mm. just things like that that help you just with your day, I guess. Yeah, right? I mean, okay, so I, I guess we talk about this a lot, a lot. and we literally <laughs> have just spoken about it. Maybe we should have yeah. saved it for the podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, like as we said, I think, I think we get so used to, models generally get quite used to having a lot of downtime. Yeah. Because in between actual work, Mm -hmm. the downtime, you know, you need to find a routine that helps you mentally because I think models go through a lot of mental strain in general because a lot of their job revolves around image. And I think image is one of those things that can massively change how you navigate life Mm -hmm. in general, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, It's just the same as anyone... You know, if anyone takes pride in clothing, not to say that that's um, um superficial thing, but it's presenting yourself in a certain way, isn't it? And so it, it becomes part of your inner psyche to be able to present yeah. and feel like you when you go out. Yeah, and you know? I apply that to you yeah. like, and the way you look. You look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that we have to... we. In mo- uh, models in general have to have a really thick skin mm-hmm. but at the same time I feel like a routine to get you through that really helps yeah. on the days I think it stops your mind from all that chatter which you have you have a great morning routine yeah what, I think what is that exactly but it's taken me time to get to that routine yeah. and I've realized that like as I've got older but um so at the minute there's a list of 11 things that I do not just in the morning but throughout the day right um and I try to do them, there will be some days where you just don't feel like doing some of them and in the morning and then you want to do them throughout the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely have a routine and it, it now it feels more second nature for me to just do it on, yeah. a, on it every easier. day, regardless if I'm working or not. And it has got easier. Um, but there's a lot of um, writing um, the first thing that I do when I wake up is do a workout, regardless of whether it's sort of 15 minutes on like a treadmill or, um, you know, like a 10 minute super intense um, workout. At the minute, I've been doing it every day for this year. Amazing. And it, I think what it's made me learn is that everything is a step by step process. Um, you're not going to see results straight away. And I think sometimes that can like demotivate people from continuing. But I think the way that I'm trying to take it is that it's like a step-by-step process and adding in and taking out things as in when you go along. Um, 
So there were things that I added in um, as I went along and there were routines that made other things a lot easier to get through. So mm-hmm. like I was saying earlier, as soon as I've worked out, I do like a 10 or a 50, well, 10 minute at the minute um, meditation. Yeah. And then I try and um, increase that incrementally as I go along. Um, and at the minute I'm struggling with the 10 minute, so I'm not sure how far I can go further with to the 15 minute meditation. But um, that... I like to do these things every day. Yeah. Um, I've been just focusing on the things that make my body run and function really well. Yeah. So I've been recently, since I think the first week of February, um, and I don't know if this is just as I've got older, I've been a lot more um, into making it a routine, but I do a food diary. So yeah. I literally just do a diary of everything that I'm eating and... Um, it made me understand my body more. Um, I'd never been a diet person, so I've never dieted in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on the pursuit for understanding my body, I realised that water intake, I have to take, I drink two litres, between two to three litres of water every day. Yeah. Um, I've made that a routine. Um, the diet, the food diary is a routine. Um, I also try to... So I've added in recently drinking apple cider vinegar at night time, yeah. which I've just added in. Um, I've also just added in um, doing a review of my day. So seeing how productive I've been with my day. And mm. the way that I've made it a little bit more me is by I do it almost like a diary entry. Um, and every day at night time, just before I'm about to switch off or turn in um I've got a book which has like the I do little illustrations. That's so cool. And I just put a little description next to it, and it makes me see how much I've done throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that works for me. Um, but I guess with the routine, I think that keeps me spiritually aligned. Mm. I suppose um, I don't think I do anything except for meditation. That's like massively spiritual, spiritual yeah. per se. But I do like reading a lot and I think my thirst for knowledge and learning is something that has helped me lose a lot of the chatter mm-hmm. that I had. Um, so I read a heck of a lot. Yeah. Even books, like as I said to you earlier, that I'm struggling with, but yeah. I will really push through. Um, so yeah, at the moment I'm reading The Power by Naomi Alderman. Mm-hmm. Um, so like she, the book... The premise of the book is really great. I'm just struggling with the book. Yeah. Um, it's not really a book that I would pick mm-hmm. to read, I don't think, now. But I forced myself to get through it. But I actually like the idea of sometimes like pushing through something that you might not necessarily be interested in. Just yeah. in case. It, it might awaken something else in your brain. Exactly. You know? Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's not really um, straight up spiritual it's just a routine. I guess that's my spirituality. If yeah, that makes sense, it's still you know? your self care, um, right? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, hundred yeah. percent. In terms of self care, that's the. These are the things that I do to look after, to look after myself and mm-hmm. understand my body a bit better. Okay, next question. I'm really excited about this one. I have always known you as such a nice and lovely person. Like, honestly, if there's one way that I would describe her, guys, it's just that she's the nicest person. She's so friendly. Everyone, No one has anything bad to say about her. Like, everyone's like, she's so lovely. Do you know this about yourself? Is it effortless for you? And do you ever get pissed off? <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so to the pissed off bit, yes. There, I mean, obviously there are moments, but I've realised that my threshold Mm -hmm. for someone to really piss me off or annoy me is really high like I I can really easily brush things off okay but if you keep chipping away at it chipping away at it that's when I I don't explode but I will tell you okay you know um oh maybe my sister might say otherwise I have exploded sometimes but like you know like (laughs) in the sense that like it takes a lot like I can quite brush I can brush it off quite well yeah um so yeah, I definitely can get pissed off, but I mean, um, so you are human. Though. I'm definitely human, baby. Yeah, but there's uh, flaws and all. Um, but um, I think you know when someone says that to me, I get really uncomfortable because I don't know that about myself. Okay. 
I feel like most nice people don't. Yeah, like I just I don't know that about you're not myself. Intentionally going around trying to be nice, you are just nice at the core. I feel. Yeah, I yeah maybe, but yeah. also at the same time, I think. And maybe it could actually be stem from maybe it, it went up tenfold when when my dad passed away. But I realized that treating everybody with a bit of kindness and compassion can change a lot mm-hmm. in someone's day. And I guess maybe. I've also got this thing where I never want anyone to feel left out. And I don't know if this is a weird thing that I've just got, but I hate, unless they are intentionally not wanting to be involved, I I won't force anybody. Mm. But I don't like being in a situation. And I think maybe this stems from being left out when I was in year seven, like yeah, on maybe. my own and feeling left out and not having many friends or whatever. Um, I hate the idea that, in any given situation, if someone doesn't feel like they've got their voice or someone doesn't feel able to speak or that, whatever it is, I just don't like people like people feeling left out. Yeah. And I feel like that's why, you know, on set or wherever I am, everyone's job is just as important. Like none mm. of that, like and in my mind, I guess I can only relate it to being back on set in terms of how I'm, how, yeah. how I am day to day. But I would never... I don't like putting anyone's job on a pedestal, regardless of whether you're in the eyes of everybody else super successful. Mm-hmm. I just think you're all there in that setting for a reason. Yeah. That there should be no need to feel left, anyone mm-hmm. to feel left out mm-hmm. in that scenario, yeah. even in a social setting. I really just like to get to know people. And I guess for that reason, I will go out of my way to meet everybody and speak to everybody and give everybody a chance to just speak up, like, That's you know, so use cool. their voice, you know. like I, yeah. I, I, Unless, obviously, they're intentionally not wanting to yeah, be involved. I enough. won't force it. But I would never want anyone to feel left out in any scenario or situation. And I, and I don't know where I've got that feeling from. Maybe I need to go to therapy to figure it out. No, and see I, what think, it is. I don't think... But, I think it's great. I think it's amazing. Um, but um, I think... Also, when you strip back, I, I, and I guess we just spoke about it also earlier, is that, you know, if we stripped back what our jobs were, and mm-hmm. obviously with our jobs, everything is related to, like, how, how our image is. And mm-hmm. um, I guess, well, earlier, uh, Shivani and I had this conversation about um, a book that we've both read called The um, Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Mm-hmm. We'll put it in the podcast notes later. But... Um, it was talking about this one um, element um, of the pretty privilege. And I said to Shivani, I was like, I often wonder if we hadn't had the pretty privilege, which without sounding big headed, we obviously had because of being models. Um, I think, I wonder where we would have been, like what would we have done? And I don't know whether we would have gone back to doing the things that we did before we were kind of noticed for our image in the sense that you know our jobs becoming our image becoming our job yeah um and i don't know from like a a, from a very raw perspective in the sense that if even as just human beings really all we have to give to anybody is kindness if we strip back any of the privileges that we have whether it's a great job whether it's i don't know fine a financial gain or whatever it is if we stripped all of that back and we didn't have anything else just ourselves Mm. to give what is it that you could give and in my mind i just think the only thing you can give is kindness isn't it like if even if say you weren't the smartest person in the world what can you give kindness at minimum at minimum is what you could give and I guess maybe where I've been doing a lot of reading and in all different parts of my life or or about all different parts of my life Mm -hmm. I've like tried to really strip back what it is that I love and Mm -hmm. what it is that I like to do day to day and Mm -hmm. I guess when you strip everything back like really all you have to give is you know an ear like to learn yeah. and listen or um 
and kindness really i guess yeah. that's where it's like stemmed from but again as i said maybe i need to look into that a little bit more i don't know i, I think you should leave it, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so talking about things that you um like to do on a daily basis i know you as like such a creative person mm. and i know that like it's you know you love like making things and like that you've got such a huge creative side how do you find the time to manage your creative side alongside your job or just like on a daily basis um or a weekly basis or monthly yeah, or whatever yeah um recently i've been like really working on this idea of consistency yeah and i realized this like even with our jobs say mm-hmm. um but I realized that for you to get any better at something that you really love doing, you have to stay consistent. Yeah. And um, I think obviously with work and like even now me being in Dubai, I feel so far away from all the things that I've got back in the UK that help me stay creative. Mm-hmm. And I guess also the great thing about creativity or having it as something that you rely on to give you some um, solace is that um, it, it really just goes across the board. It doesn't necessarily... I know, obviously, with me, like, my main thing is that I love making, and so shoemaking has been mm-hmm. part of my, like, life for the last sort of six, seven years. But if I'm totally honest about it, I've really dipped in and out of it because, obviously, work has been so... With, with modelling, work's been quite busy. So, for me, it's about what keeps me keeps my mind ticking or even not even ticking actually the complete opposite keeps my mind in a zone where I'm so focused um and I know that shoemaking and creativity keeps me in that mind of focus Mm -hmm. um in terms of keeping it in part of a routine especially here where I've been in Dubai I feel like because I haven't been able to do any shoemaking Mm -hmm. I'm trying to turn my hand at other things that I could do to keep my hands active Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I, I guess it's just when you, I guess it's not really a routine. When you enjoy doing something, you'll find time to do it. Yeah. You know, um, it's the same as reading for me. Like for me, reading is like a really nice way to just get out of my own head. Mm-hmm. And when you enjoy it, it's not something that you put into a routine. routine. It's just something that you find time to do. Yeah, I'm with you. you. Know? Um, so I guess it's the same like even with creativity um you just kind of find yeah I guess you just find the time like I mean once my routine my morning routine is out the way my the rest of my day is free um to be creative and do things um I'm definitely more action-based I've realized over the last couple of months that I prefer being more active yeah but don't get me wrong, I definitely, in, but you know, being creative, I'm still definitely massively interested in in um, the cinematic experience. So I love watching movies. And mm-hmm. to me, that's another outlet of creativity. Mm-hmm. There's something in movie making mm-hmm. and lighting and, you know, the way the camera is shot a certain yeah, scene yeah, and how yeah. something can set and make you feel, how it basically exposes those feelings and that to me is what art is all about like yeah. creativity is all about how it makes you feel yeah. um so however that make however that um transe- transcends whether it's through a book and how it makes you think about the story or the character or whether it's a movie and a scene that really makes you emotional um even if it's something where you're massively creative mm-hmm. like make shoemaking to me it makes me feel focused and in control of like focus and yeah just in control of like me um so every part of my creative every day that I'm creative or feeling that I've got this like inspiration to do something mostly just means that I've been involved with or reading something that's made me feel that I want to be creative so I guess maybe it's not really about making time I guess it's just the core of me that's like quite um creative so I continue doing the things that I like doing yeah that makes sense cool okay so next question is um what actions do you take when you're experiencing strain on your mental health so in particular I don't know I don't know if you want to talk about it or not Mm. but maybe like in particular after losing your father I know Mm -hmm. that was like a, a a huge thing that happened in your life yeah um so yeah what 
coming from somebody that has had to go through something mm, like that mm. what kind of things do you have in place um that help you when you do have a lot of strain on your mental health My mental health okay um I guess I'll be honest before my dad passed away I don't think I really understood mental health at all yeah. I don't think there was even any kind of conversation or real wow you know to eight years ago yeah. it doesn't feel like long ago and it's actually coming up to eight years on the 19th of March, which is, to me, is wild that yeah. it's been eight years because there's moments where I can take, I can think about how my dad passed away in an instant and take me back to that moment. That moment yeah. But also I think, oh, wow, in eight years, the idea of mental health has come on leaps and bounds. Like, I, I feel like I've heard more people speak about it in their day-to-day routines now than I ever have done before and I don't know whether it's just because I've become more alert to those things because of what's happened with dad or whether it's because there's been more of a spotlight on it so it's a bit of both I think it's a play of both yeah um so yeah like I mean I think my dad because of the way that he passed passed away, it made me, so for those listening, he committed suicide. And at the time, I really didn't have any idea about what that meant. I didn't know what what would lead anybody to do that. Mm -hmm. I was very ignorant to mental health. I'll I'll put that out there. Like I, I knew my, My dad always used to say things like, oh, it's all in the mind, it's all in the mind, it's all in the mind. And I don't think I fully understood how, what he was trying to say when he was saying those things. I knew to a certain extent, you know, it's all in the mind was more about, for me, how you controlled situations, you know, for yourself. Um, But I don't think I knew the uh, depths of it's all in the mind. Yeah, what that meant for him. Yeah, for him and for... Yeah, I guess maybe for him, but then maybe what he was trying to communicate to me. Yeah. And I I think now when I look back on him, when he always used to say it's all in the mind, I've realised now that it means that everything that you... Everything that comes into your life or anything that you... That affects you is all controlled by your mind whether that's good or bad whether that's you manifesting something for you to be really great at something or whether it's something where you're feeling so low I I guess it was more that it was your life is dictated by what you tell yourself in your mind Mm -hmm. and I think that that's what my dad was trying to get to all of those years before Mm -hmm. when he was saying that things were all in uh, you know it's all in in your mind in your mind and I guess now the irony of it is that it is all in your mind but the fact that my dad had passed away through suicide that was the irony in itself because I what my assumption and maybe from learning, you know, from delving a little bit deeper into mental health, I realised now that he was severely depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I think that that is the best outcome to to make of what had happened in the sense that he had committed suicide. Because there's no other way to explain how someone would feel if they're that low yeah. and don't want to be on earth anymore. Like there's, yeah. I, I genuinely don't know. And I guess maybe where I have, I suppose maybe there's been moments where I have felt really, really low, but I I don't remember feeling so low that I didn't ever want to be on the earth. Yeah. But that's what made me realize how your mind is so uh, complex and powerful. Um, so I think maybe when my dad passed away, I started really looking into mental health mm-hmm. and like what it meant. Um, it definitely was on my radar a lot more. I was, at the time, I was um, working in a um, corporate interior design company in in London. And 
I used to get the train there. I struggled to get the train because there was moments where um, people would commit yeah. suicide. I found a newfound patience for for trains almost. It was weird. As soon as my dad committed suicide and then I'd realised that, you know, people were committing suicide by jumping in front of a train. Yeah. I realized how much more patience I had. I, and I used to just look at those journeys as just like, it, they used to play on, play on my mind for days mm. when I'd found out because um, about these people jumping in front of trains. Because I remember just thinking um, just how miserably low someone must be to, to do that. Mm. So m- my dad, he hung himself and my mum and dad, ha- my mum and my sister had found him. But I always say to people, you know, when, when they say that they're really depressed or that, you know, that they're feeling really low, even at their lowest points, I actually genuinely think that the idea of like putting a noose around your neck is hard to do, let alone actually go through the actions of actually doing it. So I think when I realise how low someone can get to get to that point and physically jump in front of a train knowing that that is the end of your life. Mm. But you, but that person that's severely depressed feels like that's the only way out of feeling so low. You, you have to be really out of your depths yeah. to be able to control what's going on in your mind. Yeah. Um, so I think from that, I really was aware of mental health in a way that was different to meditation that was different to spirituality it was all about how someone just copes with their day-to-day life because you know for you Shivani something might be like completely difficult for you to handle but for someone like me I I could get it vice versa I could find something really difficult to cope with and you're just able to get through it and I realized that everybody was I think that's what made me realize that you can't treat everybody and pigeonhole people profile people you just cannot there's everybody deals with their emotions in completely different ways and I so many things on so many things and everyone's path or life journey is completely different to Mm -hmm. you know the person standing right next to them regardless if they're you know uh, looking wise the same yeah you know Um, I couldn't agree yeah so I think um I suppose the question was, how do I cope with it? Mm-hmm. I think I've just done a lot of reading on it. Yeah. And I think that um, I'm massively... I was into psychology before my dad passed away. But I don't think I got into it as much as I had done until after my dad had passed away. Yeah. Because I, I realised then that his whole it's all in the mind thing really had you know uh conviction in the sense that it is all in the mind Mm. and it's everything is controlled by how you decide to perceive every thing that comes in your way almost every individual thought yeah Yeah. every individual thought is so important Mm. and i think that um I don't think I coped with it very well at the start. Like, I definitely, when Dad passed away, like, we had therapy sessions. It wasn't easy. We had group therapy sessions. That wasn't easy either because it was it was about hearing other people's yeah. bereavement I can from um, uh, family members or close people that or people that they were close to that had committed suicide and that how they were coping oh, with I it. Oh, I understand. So you're, it's a group, I thought a group, like you, your mum, your sister, you mean group, like, with it was, other yeah, families? Yeah, so it was, like, in a full-on, it was, like, wow. like how you picture yeah, it on yeah, TV. Yeah. It was a circle of wow. chairs. Um, and honestly, I've also got a newfound, like, appreciation for these therapy um, sessions, these group sessions. Um, if you can go and invest or give some money to these places it's one of the best things it's the it's the best thing your money could ever do um because they all rely on on people that are willing to give up their time to to hear these quite hard stories you know um but it was um the the circle was 
people that were bereaved by someone that had committed suicide. I see. And the stories were heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. But they, they, I guess what it made me realize was that everybody's situation is so different, you mm. know? And it, 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 the therapy sessions were very helpful, but I realized that for you to, again, as you, as my dad had said, it's all in the mind and it's all about how you decide individually how to cope with your strain. Um, and I guess me and you, Shivani, have spoken about this before, like what you do to, when you're in real mental strain, what you do. Mine is now, honestly, I will just try and find anything to distract me. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if that's the way to even look at it, if that is the right way to do things. Sometimes that's Uh, what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. I will just try and do anything that will stop that mental chatter. Yeah. Yeah. Another great book that I read about that was Quiet by Fern Cotton. Oh, yeah. Um, Really great book about stopping the mental chatter. And that only, I only read probably a couple of months ago, actually. Um, And that really sort of reignited my um, practice on how to deal with my mental strain. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I've been going to recently is just like something really simple, like breathing. Yeah. Um, And I know that it's it's something that they say to you to do all the time. But honestly, once you start focusing on something else, yeah, being aware of it and just sitting there with your breath, which obviously can be seen as meditation as well. Um, yeah, just I remember just thinking, oh yeah, helps. Helps. It really it does gives help. You one thing to focus on especially, that's not the chatter. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you don't have that thing that you want to get distracted by. Yeah. Whatever that is, like if, if you haven't got, if you're not able to go out for a walk or talk to your friends or, or family. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. If I don't have those outlets, then what is the one thing that I could do for myself? And I think sometimes just know knowing that you can be there with your breath is a good is a good place to start, and then you can take the moments afterwards, at, at, you know, as you go along, kind of thing. But I think it depends on the day and the mood I'm in as well, like yeah. what, how I cope with it. You know, there are different avenues to take with mental strain. But yeah, um, that's great advice. Yeah. And think, also, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, oh, I know that yeah. it's not, an, it's not an, an easy thing to talk about. Um, okay, so should we move on or is there anything else that you want to add? Um, no, I guess that's it. I mean, yeah. I, I, to me, it's just all... Um, yeah, I mean... I mean Mental strain is just so different. And I guess maybe what I'm saying is that, which is probably even more annoying to hear actually, is that everyone is so individual. And I I won't say that for you that Mm -hmm. breathing would work. But for me, it's something that's definitely helped. You have to just try different things, right? Until you find what works for you. Exactly. And I think that's the... I don't want to say enjoyable because it's not enjoyable because when you're in the middle of strain, you're not thinking how enjoyable (laughs) is this. But... I think that's it's interesting, the part of, right? Yeah, to it's interesting it. to explore what yeah. it is that can help because there are days where you're where breathing is just not happening. But, yeah, it's not cutting not it. One it's not working for me, and I have to go off to do something 100%. else. Yeah. And it's not. It's like you said. It's going to be different every day. Things work in seasons. That's what I think. Exactly. Things yeah. Work, like, yeah. Everything yeah, works for in sure. seasons. That's a great so way of looking at it. Whilst yeah. like in your life, there might be different things that work at different points. But that's a great, great piece of advice. Just focusing on your breath. I might start doing that as well. Yeah. It's a good one, but I mean, you know, try it. Check it out. See how you feel, you know? Cool. Okay, so um, this is the final question for Mm -hmm. you. What lessons do you think that you've learned through creativity or modeling? Like any lessons that you can share with us that you feel like you've learned? Doesn't have to be like a few, could just be one or just any like key lessons that you feel. No, I wish I had, because I knew knew this question was coming, but I don't know why I didn't actually think Think. of of an answer. But, um... lessons or just anything you feel like you've learned from the journey that you feel like you could share maybe could help maybe even aspiring models or... yeah um okay so in terms of career let's take it i suppose like section at a time career wise um <clears throat> do you know what's interesting and i had this conversation with a friend of mine that i went to high school with and we um last year we did um, and I, I always love these kind of like, and like uh, tidbits of like conversation that you don't realize that you're taking in or is going to affect how you think later on in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a conversation and he's like a, a really successful um, music producer and like his 
you know, done pretty well for himself. He's got himself out of Ilford. That's a start mm. kind of thing. And managed to get to LA and worked on some like really cool like um, music for movies and stuff. And um, we basically met up and we we do this periodically because I mean we do, it's not like we stay in touch in between. Um, but I always feel like I come back with like a, a little bit of something to think about. Yeah. And the one life lesson that I realized, and we both had this conversation when we, when we were out, we, he's actually, he, we did a shoot that day together actually. And um, um, consistency is so key in everything that you do. Why? Whether it's looking at your lifestyle, your career, like whatever element of your life, consistency is really important. But also that there are parts of your life that when you're younger at 20 and you feel like things are not working, it will take you till you get to about 30, 31 mm. to realize why that was never working. And it's because you just didn't have the experience at the time. Yeah. And the way that I, I, we were talking about it and I said, oh, we were, look, we were both looking back on moments in our lives where we were like, why was it just not working at that time? Why wasn't it working? Like we just couldn't make it work kind of thing. And like, you feel like you, you let, you let things kind of, um, kind of, you let go of things because they weren't working. And I realized now, 10 years later on, that the reason why it wasn't working was because I didn't have the experience to have it work. Makes sense. You know? Yeah. Um, and I look at that with my modeling career massively. Yeah. I remember when I first won the modeling competition, mm -hmm. I realized that I'd been basically dropped into <laughs> a world that I had absolutely yeah, no, no experience in. The e-coms at that point is not what e-coms is right now. Mm -hmm. So all of the getting to pose and know how to pose in certain clothes and doing all these things and networking and all of those things at 20, I was never going to be good at it because I had no experience. Yeah, I was never going to be great at it at that point. You know, I mean, as much as everybody thinks that modeling can be quite easy, there are things that you pick up along the way to make you better at the job mm -hmm. and I've realized that more as I've got older that I'm getting more work now because I just know how the job works yeah definitely. I know what they're looking for I know what to uh to do like when it's swimwear I know how to pose in a certain way but when I'm doing flowy dresses I know how to pose in a certain yes. way and unless you have that experience which you're not going to get when you first start out things are not going to work out as you plan and you yeah. might be yearning for something that you desperately want. And I'm not saying don't continue. I'm saying be kind stick to at it. Yeah. yeah. Be kind to yourself, but stick at it if you really feel like it's something that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Because the longer you stick at it, the more likely you are to get work. And this is like a life's work. This is a journey. And I hate saying that that one cliched um, you know, quote, um, but it's about the journey. Like yes. it, it's honestly about it is taking that experience 100%. yeah um and i remember thinking like i was on set doing the directories and i just, i i didn't know what they were asking me to do honestly mm -hmm. i had no idea what they were asking for i genuinely didn't think that they um i i didn't have anybody to look up to or do the job yeah. and the same goes for with anything else in my career or my life like all of the things that I've not been consistent with have not got any better mm -hmm. and you can't just be good at something and do it once and just be good at it you have to be consistently over yeah. a long period of time yeah. working at something mm -hmm. so that's one lesson I think I would take from that is that consistency is really key um starting to sound like DJ Khaled now <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um consistency and about creativity I guess again it is consistency I've only got better at the things that I do because I've been doing them for so I long I feel like it's with life it's consistency yeah, like yeah. with I feel like the most I feel like consistency and motivation are two completely different, different things. things and people are like you like take going to the gym for example yeah. people are like you need motivation to go to the gym you need motivation yeah, yeah. no we have motivation, motivation to go to the gym 
what's going to make you stay bitter and look better and feel better and like good for is actually consistently going to the gym and yeah. you're not going to have that motivation yeah. every yeah. day but you have to have the discipline D- and the consistency yeah 100%. i think it goes over all oh, areas yeah of your it life. is it's one of those things that i've realized that consist and this is now actually one part of the routine that i didn't mention earlier is that even though i had those 11 things that i do yeah. every day regardless if i'm working or not I put in the corner of that sheet of paper four things and I put the four things there because I feel like they remind me why I'm doing those 11 things. I love that. So the four things that I put up, mostly because I struggle with, when I first started doing this whole water thing, um, drinking the two and a half liters of whatever, I had a massive stint of doing it and then I fell out of it. Right. And then at the top, so I put, in the corner, I put water, focus, consistency, and value. And those three things I put up there as a reminder as to why I'm doing those 11 things that might sound like, cool, that's a bit much, like Mm. you're doing 11 things every day, like just to get through your day. But when I look at those three words, I realize I can only be those three things and do those three things if I do those 11 things. 100%. and again, it's been a struggle because I'm trying to make them consistent and it's hard to, to be consistent, you know, like yeah. it's a struggle. So um, I guess it's just finding ways to get through life in a much more positive, like, way that s- serves you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's an everyday life experience, just yeah. like enjoying getting through the day and exactly. learning new and things. And like you said, even though it sounds cliche, it is literally about the journey and like all the little things mm. but you've definitely dropped some very good beads of wisdom yeah. there. thank oh, you so like much that. i think beads i'm gonna <laughs> i think i'm gonna literally i i've taken things away ah. from this podcast <laughs> yeah. i think it's very i think the bit that you said about your why is very important i think yeah. that sometimes we want to do all these things but if you just when you're struggling it's a great bit of advice that you mm. gave just to remember your why you're doing it I yeah think that's really powerful um but yeah I is there anything else why? you want to that's a good question because i don't feel like i my why? Do you know what? Honestly, I struggled with my why for a long time. Yeah, but you want to be those three things, right, that you wrote yeah. down in your top left hand corner? I definitely, corner. yeah. And I guess I guess those three, three things are my why, yeah. but that they get me to do my consistent yeah. work. But I guess my, my bigger why, mm. like the bigger picture, the reason why I'm doing all these 11 things and the reason why I've got those three words to... to I guess they're my motivation work, okay. words. But I guess my my actual why is, I feel like as Indian women, we both have this. Mm. In the things that matter to me as well are representation. And I yeah. feel like for you to ever be able to leave your um, story. Yeah. And for me, it's definitely been about being a dark-skinned Indian girl, just really just going for what she wants. Mm. You're never really going to get any further than where you're at right now if you don't do the consistency, the the value, or you don't give anything more mm-hmm. than just mm-hmm. being a model. So my, I think my why was more about representation and just breaking the molds, I suppose, in that sense. Just yeah. breaking the molds of what people think an Indian model... Forget actually model. Forget like even the idea of being in the fashion industry. Just what an Indian girl would be. Would yeah. be you know, whether that's... You know, whether that's, um, I'm not saying break the moulds because you feel like you just want to be rebellious. Mm -hmm. Do it because it's something that it means something to you. But if breaking the mould to you is, I don't know, what could I say? If breaking the mould to you is, um, I don't know, maybe for me breaking the mould was being a model. So for me, I really pushed for it because it was an avenue that I could take, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if it's breaking the stereotypes of what people can like uh, um, think of an Indian woman, yeah, you know, like that's I feel like that's why. yeah, that's for me that was my why. Yeah, you know, I I didn't want to be pigeonholed or profiled. And to be able to achieve that, you have to do all these yeah, things right to make exactly. yourself a better person. Yeah, so hundred percent. If you spend some time reflecting on that why, it makes all the other things that maybe feel really annoying on a daily basis Mm. just make a lot more sense i think it's the idea of having a bigger picture and then knowing all the little things that make that bigger picture yeah 
to, to attain that bigger, bigger picture, picture, right? Yeah, that's Great. it. Great. Yeah. I love that. I'm actually going to spend some time tomorrow morning in my morning routine reflecting on Good. my why. I like because that. I, yeah, because yeah. I feel like, I, I feel like I've also got all these things that I do mm. on a daily basis, but I don't... Sometimes I'm like, I haven't actually sat down to ever think why. I mean, I'm sure there's a really deep reason mm. as to why, because if not, they wouldn't have come from nowhere. But yeah. it would be nice to know that for the days that I'm struggling to just empower me a yeah. little bit. Yeah. yeah, I think the why, without again sounding like a cliche, will, the why is also a way, is like you said, like is the motivation. Everybody has their why or their motivation. Mm-hmm. It's what stays or keeps them there. Yeah. And I think that the why has to also be that as well. It also has to be that idea of um, what keeps me there. And I guess for me, what keeps me there is that f- being a female in this world, yeah. you're already fighting so many um, restrictions yeah. or, you know, just um, stereotypes. Yeah. Then being an Indian woman, a woman of colour, mm. you're fighting a whole bunch of, you know, stereotypes yeah. there. Then being like, for me, it was like being a dark-skinned Indian woman that comes with a whole load of other um, pressures, I would yeah. say. Not pressures. I guess I don't, I, I don't see them as pressures, but I guess... Actually, maybe they are pressures. I Society don't know. Society might. Yeah. Bit, yeah. Um, for me, that was a whole nother thing to unpack. Right. So I think that those, all of those things in one give me that idea of this bigger picture being like way more than it isn't. The bigger picture isn't just about what it's doing for me. The bigger picture is how is this affecting how younger Indian girls are perceiving Mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. But also, um, giving, I think for me, it's like giving girls this. Indian girls specifically, and I suppose also to to some extent darker skinned Indian girls, this idea that um, being dark is never going to restrict you. Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost like part of your power. Almost, yes, you know, like, that. and um, I th- I guess it's this idea that um, you just have to be resilient as yeah. well. You know. Um, but there is, there's just, I feel like that's my big old why. Yeah, and I, I want to be that person that I didn't have. Because when I started out modeling, I didn't have that person that I looked up, up to that was dark skinned and yeah. Indian and like knew how the, the, the industry worked. Yeah. I want to now be, I want to be able to give that to support to someone else. And yeah. I guess the bigger picture then isn't how it's going to help me, but how it's going to help other people. Yeah. And know, I think you're a great world. person to be doing that because you seem to have so much experience and so much knowledge in the way that you're like putting it across is like great i feel like you needed somebody like you yeah up. So i, I so genuinely nice felt that, that. yeah those yeah. shoes mm. you know for yourself mm. it's amazing it's interesting this was a great chat I, yeah I feel I've, like I've i'm gonna this. go back and like write down things <laughs> in my notebook i think this has been my favorite one actually <laughs> oh, so this will be sweet. the one now that i'll say to people oh go and listen to our podcast and oh, i'm gonna send them so this sweet. one i feel like that with your one do you yeah do you know why i don't know i haven't listened to it back i didn't know what i was rambling on about oh no i listened to it back because i wanted to go back and write down things that i remembered from yeah oh my god I, I went back that. and I was like, oh, I feel, feel like I need to take, there was some point oh, where she made that really that. hard. Yeah. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> Great. We love each other. We really. do. <laughs> we really do, don't like we? So we're, like, we're like annotating yeah, each other's yeah. podcast, even though we're interviewing the other person. And on that note, guys. Yeah, that is it. Honestly, <laughs> we'll I leave you. I could talk um, about this subject for ages. But yeah, yeah, but we will definitely do more, maybe like micro podcasts on yeah. like subjects like this, because I think that there's definitely so much to say about it and I feel like you can't cover it all in one Mm. podcast and these are the things that we want our podcast to be about so if there's anything in particular that you guys like or you want us to go into further detail about or just anything that you want us to explain or any questions that you Mm -hmm. have um like we always say we've got our social media which we're going to link below we've got our personal instagrams which you can also message us on um the joint instagram like I said um and yeah um comment whatever yeah we love the questions yeah we love the questions so um and I guess next week tune into the episode that we've got yeah um, i'm actually really excited about the next one because i feel like it's a really good it's like a little in on like how we've got to where we were but next week's episode is uh, the top five things that made us better models yes um so for all you aspiring models out there 
or even even people that like don't really want to model just want to maybe be in the fashion industry yeah um i feel like they're gonna be like general life it could just apply to anything i guess i feel like we're gonna give like practical really practical ways to apply things yeah and and i yeah so next week is all gonna be about um the the top five things that made us better models yeah um so yeah tune into that we're excited about that one for sure all right then guys so we'll see you on that episode yeah (laughs) Bye. bye